When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Reveille, reveille, donks. Look at us now, tip to tip. This is our life. This is our passion. That's the spirit we bring to this show. I'm Luke Thomas. I'm Brian Campbell. This is Morning Combat. Oh, yeah. It sounds a little bit like art to me. Big fight announcements on this Friday morning. And nobody better than the biggest, most decorated combat sports show uh, i don't know ever right now in this world to break it all down welcome i'm in to morning combat it is friday november 18th 2022 we've got your weekend preview we've got all that stuff in the news cycle we also have major breaking news announcements one overnight in boxing one from bellator mma just seconds ago we're going to break it all down for you brian campbell that bbc with that bde yep you know that guy right here some would say I should be hosting every episode, but that's a topic for another day. Let me not waste any more time, though, after so many commercials and bring in my editorial hetero life partner. It's Luke Thomas from Washington, D.C. Luke, big day on the show today. I had to put on a collar here. You know, normally I wouldn't even shower, but uh, I'm fired up for some MK. Did you do HQ this morning? Negative. Negative. Yeah, I have to do it this afternoon or this evening anyway, so we'll see how that goes. But yes, big show, big, big, big boxing news. We just had some big Bellator news. We have not one, not two, three big, well, I wouldn't say big, but three events anyway uh, this weekend overall in MMA. So it's a good one. It's a good show today, plus dead wrong. They're going to tell us all the dumb shit we did, so this will be a great yeah, one. indeed. Uh, Luke, uh, anything you want to talk about about life before we get right into the mix of this? I mean, it's a new day. You've got rain energy drink in your hand. You just took another one to three days off the end of your life, but, you know, as Dennis Lurie would say, that's the, you know, the, the days nobody wants anyway, so maybe you're ahead of the game right now. That's right. Uh, I'm not too worried about this energy drink, and what I would say is um, I'm just excited for the weekend. I'm excited to work tonight. And uh, then I'm excited to have a couple days off with my fam, who I have not had a lot of time with recently. So this should be fun. All right. Must be nice. You'll enjoy it. Hey, let's, before we kick it off here, Luke, remind everybody that we are getting closer to the end of this month, November 2022. And you do know what that means, because we've been telling you, it's almost time to select the first ever Moneyline Hammer of the Month. Moneyline, one of our favorite sponsors, they know how to do money, right? That's what they do. And for those of you that have missed it, a few weeks back, we decided to start spotlighting undercard fighters who aren't getting the recognition they deserve. Moneyline agreed. So we've come up with this amazing hammer trophy. And every month, we're going to let you, the viewers, vote. And look, somebody's going to get this in the mail. Somebody's going to realize that, no, you, you actually can't touch this because it's hammer time. That's right. If you want more information, go to moneylion.com slash morning combat. And of course, you know how it works. You can tag Moneylion on Twitter for as long as Twitter exists at Moneylion or on Instagram at Moneylion Inc. Use that hashtag hammer of the month. Use that hashtag holy hammer. Let the folks know what you think or I should say who you think deserves this award and we're going to ship it to them. We're excited about this. Yeah, if you're somebody like Aaron Blanchfield, you may want to clear off that mantle if you're, you know, who's that guy from, from CWC, Luke? Or CW? The CW? Uh, Paul Hughes. 
Paul Hughes, you might want to consider opening up some space. Good deal coming up from Moneyline. Can't wait. Uh, hit that QR code below for more details. All right, Luke, Bellator MMA is coming to big CBS. We'll get to that in a moment. But our first topic of the day on this Friday is what took place last night in the world of boxing. How did we close 2022 with plenty big fights kind of falling apart right before our eyes? Spence versus Crawford? Nah. Fury versus Usyk? You're going to have to wait. But according to both fighters, the networks, the promoters, everybody involved, look ahead to April of 2023 because two of the most exciting, young, dynamic boxers in the game today are going to meet. No, not when they're 35 years old. Right now in their unbeaten prime, Gervonta Davis and Ryan Garcia have agreed in principle to a super fight in Las Vegas in 2023 that, according to reports from multiple outlets, is being targeted toward April 15th. It'll be a 136-pound catchweight. There are some hurdles and details we have to get through, but you know in this boxing game with promoters, networks on either sides of the street, it can be hard to get the fights when we want when we want them. Luke Thomas... Everyone seems to be in on this because both fighters fought to make it happen. It'll be a pay-per-view produced by Showtime. DAZN will also offer the same production on their streaming site. What is your reaction to the idea that, I mean, you know, still cross your fingers until all the, uh, the, the T's and I's are dotted, but we may be getting Tank versus Guy in their physical primes in April. Yes, there are a couple of hurdles ahead. According to Dan Raphael, it's possible, possible that Garcia will take a tune-up fight ahead of this uh, proposed or semi-scheduled contest. Remember, to be clear, I want to be, you know, not to pour cold water on it because I am excited. But well, I also well, Let's get to sure the that... cold water later, Luke. I want to hear the hot water right now. I want to hear your right, reaction right. to what this so means. So if we're just right? talking hot water, if we're just talking hot water, this is, I mean, if you're thinking about what are some of the biggest fights that boxing could make today, this is one of them. This is one of the top three, you could even argue, and by some people's estimation, maybe even number one. You're talking about, you know, boxing gets sort of associated with older names or older crowds or sort of, you know, entrenched figures. And here comes Ryan Garcia, one of the youngest and most exciting and, frankly, most popular boxers in the entire sport. Then on the other side, Gervonta Davis, a similar kind of situation, one of the most popular, one of the most exciting, one of these sort of groundbreaking, surging talents. Him a little bit, obviously, with Showtime and on pay-per-view, and then with Golden Boy and then DAZN for the Garcia side. So we're talking about a highly anticipated fight, as you indicated, with guys in their primes. This, to me, just tells you a couple of things. One... Like, if the boxers really want it, the deals can get done. There was probably a lot that had to happen to make this deal possible. DAZN will sell the pay-per-view, but they won't have any control over the production. It's all going to be showtime. But you know, there's a two-network semi-deal in place here. I'm sure that was not easy to get, and a lot of people had to work around it to find a way to do it. But more to the point, we go back to what we lost, because remember, tomorrow was supposed to be Spence Crawford under its originally scheduled date. It was supposed to be effing tomorrow, and the whole thing fell apart. Here we've got two young guys with massive fan bases skewing younger, pulling that younger audience in from all different directions. They are they have the highest celebrity quotient in terms of fans, yeah. as you indicated, in their primes. I mean, th this is if they if it finally happens, and let's you know we're talking hot water. This is exactly what boxing needed. This is highly exciting. 
This is relevant. This is important. This is all action oriented. When this finally happens, this is exactly the kind of thing that boxers need to do to elevate the sport. I give all the credit in the world to Javante Davis. I give all the credit in the world to, to Ryan Garcia. Could not be more excited. This is one of those 2023 kind of bucket list fights you would really want to see. I mean, this is a hell of a holiday, Christmas gift, Hanukkah gift, whatever you celebrate right there. Why? Because as Luke indicated, doesn't always go this way. Ryan Garcia is 24 years old. And as much as he's a crossover superstar in a lot of ways because of his social media following, I think he's got 9 million followers on Instagram. He's yet to be tested on that super, super elite level. Got up off the canvas to stop Luke Campbell in his biggest fight to date. Had some physical and mental setbacks, but he's back. He wants all the smoke. And this is what happens, and by the way, Tank Davis, 28 years old, right? Right on the edge of that pound-for-pound, proven star, titleist in multiple divisions. This is the type of showdown between a 24- and a 28-year-old that just isn't easy to make in modern boxing. And you had both of them leveraging, essentially their leverage, essentially their standing to push through the barriers, which, like Luke said, shows you that if the two fighters... In question, in any fight, in any weight class, right? Obviously, it can be harder when you don't have the following that these two have to demand, you know, the money to where people just go, okay, let's make it happen. But this is about two fighters in Tank and Ryan Garcia, and maybe specifically Ryan Garcia, whose network and promoter didn't have the leverage in this situation. It was two fighters who wanted this fight to happen more than they wanted to get caught up in all of that red tape. Now, we don't know the financial breakdown It's hard to compare this to Spence Crawford and point fingers at whichever side you're pointing on. But these are two young, hungry fighters who didn't care about the network issues, didn't care that that, you know, it wasn't going to be a a true two network pay-per-view. They pushed their people, their, their promoters, their networks, and they said, I want this more than anything else. Make this happen. I think that, you know, it can be an awakening moment for the rest of boxing that when you do take control of your own career, yes, you have people to answer to. You've got things you have to do in the modern breakdown of promoters being so aligned to networks but these are two fighters who wanted a career defining opportunity right now not 10 years from now and they pushed and everyone involved got together at the table and they made it work to make this happen now you know according to some of the reporting guys like dan rayfield mike coppinger lance pugmire this could be a situation where the zone gets international rights on the pay-per-view and obviously luke you know we could have some potential hiccups which get in the way so let's quickly break down those right there one It's not completely completed. Both have verbally agreed there's going to be a further contract negotiation. But again, maybe unlike Spence Crawford to some degree, both want it right now, no matter what, let's make it happen. Number two, Tank Davis put on Twitter that he wants to come back January 7th in D.C. against an opponent to be named. It looks to be kind of a tune-up to keep him fresh. We don't know the level of the opponent. We don't know if it'll be a pay-per-view bout. Brian Garcia, as Luke mentioned, could do the same in his own right. But what that will only do is serve as a potential, you know, drumbeat session to get the the crossover casual audience fired up for this. I think this is different from the Fury Usyk situation where I argued against the idea of taking unnecessary uh, interim fights or tune-ups in between. Why? Because that's four titles. That's an undisputed championship at stake. This fight's at a catchweight. There's no belts on the line. Devin Haney has all four titles at lightweight, right? This is a different scenario between two stars who are at a crossroads moment and just want to prove they have it. So that doesn't worry me as much. The other potential hurdle is Gervonta Davis's court date has been moved from December to February 16th, I believe, where he'll serve trial for a uh, alleged hit and run. So we'll see what that potentially affects moving forward. But on the surface, 
the biggest hurdle in making these fights is always that last step at the table with network, with promoter, with, you know, money and all that. We seem to be good here. So there is reason for optimism. I want to see Spence Crawford more than anything, but already that fight is three, four, five years too late. Mayweather Pacquiao was five years too late. This fight's about to happen, not right now, but right around the corner. And Luke, tell me if I'm wrong, but when you get the social media followings of both going, the fact that they have separate large fan bases that reach into the crossover, reach into the celebrity areas, you give this fight six months to build to, which seems to be the setup and plan right now. This could be as, 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 you know, I don't want to say as big as it gets. Could it be bigger than Fury fighting for all four heavyweight titles? In a different way, it's just as big because you're reaching into a younger audience and you're finding two unbeaten guys who have yet to, to, to take that L in a fight that you know, you know is going to end in knockout. Yeah, sign me up. This is as good as it gets in boxing, and it's time to bring back that level of optimism. Yeah, I mean, I, I always say it. Like, what is the job of the promoter? Let's repeat it one more time. The job of the promoter is to put on fights that people want to pay money to see. But the reality can sometimes be that people want to pay a lot of money for someone who is a celebrated figure who can't fight or a celebrated matchup between two old guys or something where, yes, it's a lucrative thing. Or, for example, they could go to the UK and Tyson Fury can fight you know, uh, not Dillian White, but Derek Chisora for the third time and maybe sell a bunch of tickets. Like, that is a thing that meets the promoter's requirement without really understanding where the fans are. This fight doesn't have that problem. As you indicated, the celebrity level of attendance between Tank's fan base and Ryan's fan base and then just the collision of them is going to be extraordinary. It's going to be, you know, the 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 who gets the seating right around the ring um, it won't be quite like Mayweather Pacquiao where, you know, the private airport was overloaded with private jets that people had flown in from, but it's going to be something kind of like that. That's the first thing I'd say. But to your point, BC, here we have two guys who are vying to be something special in boxing by boxing standards. They want to be greats. They want to be champions. They want to be on that pound for pound list. And now they want to risk it all against another guy like themselves. This is exactly that sweet spot where the promoter gets to put on the fights that people pay, want to pay money to see, and the fans get to see something action-packed, something relevant, something, frankly, a little bit historic, something important, all of the above. It's the uniting of all of those forces together, and I think that's why everyone in the boxing world, as you saw yesterday on social media and other places, was so excited about it. Well, it feels historic, yet it's kind of just old school because we're so not used to this happening. I mean, look, we have been lucky in recent years and I will echo some that say the whole narrative of, you know, boxing always shooting itself in the foot. Okay. Is it true? Sometimes yeah, for sure. It's true in big ways sometimes, but there's been more of this type of working together than we maybe always acknowledge to some degree. That's true. I mean, you saw Wilder and Fury on opposite ends of the street, get together for a trilogy. I mean, that can happen for the really big ones, but not always when the guys are in their absolute primes and Ryan Garcia's case has yet to truly prove himself as a true elite. This gives him every opportunity to not just double down on his stardom, but you know, become a pound for pound recognized force. Um, same thing for for Tank Davis. You know, who some people have criticized his matchmaking or who he's had access to at times. Well, look, whether you think Tank's going to win or not, Ryan Garcia has some of the fastest hands in this game. He's one of the most explosive fighters, and he is coming in with the intention that I'm going to come there and get the knockout and earn my star. Not also, you know, not BC, lean on these social BC, media followers. BC, like I we got we should say this too. We've talked about it for a while and when he first I forgot the uh the the kid he fought, 
the uh, the African kid um, when he first switched over to training from in Canelo and Eddie Reynoso to over to Dan Goosen. But Joe dude, Goosen. he seems recharged. He Dan seems... Goosen, R.I.P. Luke. Joe Goosen. Joe Goosen. What am I saying? Sorry. Yes, Joe Goosen. Um, but you get the idea. Like that switch in the camps invigorated him. It lifted him. And it was a slow start at first, and I didn't quite understand it. And leaving Eddie Reynoso at the time he did. We were both like, eh, I don't know if this is going to be a good thing. And again, we don't know how he's going to perform against Tank. But this new, he wants to take boxing by the scruff of the neck and then just bend it to its will. That's what he wants to do. And that has put him in this position. Of course, Tank is also meeting him halfway. But he, it put him in this position to really kind of seek big challenges and, and, and shoot for the stars and all this kind of stuff. He's got this new attitude since yeah. changing trainers and whether it will work out for him we'll have to see but it's certainly working out for us and i appreciate that also well, bc well, hold on, look. yeah i was in the middle of a point luke what else you got for me no 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 i can wait i can wait all right i was gonna say it, it's not historic it is old school though meaning you know what was the era that 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 formed your boxing love was it the 70s was it the 80s and 90s was it the pacquiao mayweather rise there were stretches there were times it didn't matter if Don King or Bob Arum hated each other. When they had the fight to make, they made it. When the fighters were in the position to make the fight to make and, and were in a spot where they're risking it all. I mean, yeah, they're getting a giant payday and a giant step-up opportunity, but you're still risking that Oh, You know, back in the day, fighters were more willing to do that. Now, we have evolved to a point where boxers are more in control of their own you know, financial destiny, and that's a good thing, but this feels old school because it is. And I think this young, new generation... The guys like 24-year-old Garcia and 28-year-old Tank, I think they want to be a little different than the generations before them. I think they want the smoke now. They want to become stars the old-fashioned way by earning it in the ring. And not everybody, not in every situation, and you know, sometimes numbers do dictate. A star is not going to sign up for a big fight unless they feel they're getting the right, you know, breakdown financially. And there's sometimes there's different leveraging factors with networks and stuff. But all that's going away because these two fighters want it. So I hope more people are taking notice. And if you're asking, you know, what what can be done to rejuvenate the sport and, and and bring it back in the mainstream? Well, the rejuvenation of the heavyweight division in recent years has been a great part. But fights like this happening when six months ago, two weeks ago, you know, we would have been like, hey, more often than not, good luck. It's a fantasy matchup, but you're not going to see it until many years later when they have much larger profiles. No, we get a chance to see it now. So, Luke, we're not going to get down and pre preview the fight, but tell me this. I think we'd both agree that these are dynamic offensive forces with hand speed, power. Tank Davis, probably the better boxer on paper, but you know, you know, to your point, Joe Goosen bringing, uh, now working with Ryan Garcia, I mean, you know, yeah, they're working on defense, which is you know certainly a question mark in Ryan's game, but Joe's one of the most dynamic offensive coaches you know, historically. So what we saw Ryan Garcia do in six rounds against Javier Fortuna, I mean, I don't think he's ever going to get past some of that vulnerability, but he overcompensates with that by just being sublime and fast and dangerous, you may have a pick in your heart early, but what do you think the betting odds will be as we get closer to April and these two putting their unbeaten records on the line? Tank as a slight favorite or moderate favorite um, because he promotionally he is the A-side and folks are like, oh, no, he's not. Yes, he is. There's one, one, of the, one of these two guys has been selling on pay-per-view and one of them hasn't. Let's be very clear about that. Tank is the A-side. But that's not what your question is. Your question is like, you know, from a betting perspective. The power, obviously, of Gervonta is needs no introduction. And more to the point, 
I actually do think he's quite clever. Um, I think that Gervonta could be had early, but I think the longer this goes, we know that Gervonta's power carries late. He is clever. He can set up shots. He can really use it to great effect when he wants to. So assuming he trains the right way and he gets prepared the right way, it's a tough fight. It's a close fight. I do think that Gervonta's power punching should make a difference in the end. Yeah, it's going to be interesting. But, you know, if you're looking at the other side of it, what does Davis potentially bring in? I'm sorry, uh, Ryan Garcia bring in that could give Davis a problem. Well, you know, look, he's going to be four and a half inches taller, two and a half inch reach advantage, Ryan Garcia. He may have a slight speed edge. I certainly like Tank's boxing and power better. But Ryan Garcia, until he gets solved, is going to be a problem, I think, for everyone he faces because that length and that speed, right? He's like a... There's some Amir Khan comparisons, and obviously that's a dangerous comparison because for as sublime offensively as Amir Khan was in his prime, there was always that back that trap door waiting to open with his chin. You hope for Ryan Garcia's case that the knockdown against Luke Campbell was not an aberration of, of things to come. But there is a scenario here where sometimes Gervonta can be selective with his shots and maybe too efficient where, where uh, Ryan Garcia's activity, the jab, the speed... Look, this is gonna. It could be. It could give him some issues. There's gonna need to be adjustments. I can't wait for this one. I'm so fired up. It could not have more stardom. It could not have more in that youth crossover factor. This is the goods, and fingers crossed, everything goes to plan from court dates to setup fights that we start banging that drum. I mean, start banging it now, Luke. Just get out. I mean, are you into that, Luke? Do you have like, you don't have like um congas in your office in the corner that sometimes you just bust out and. Now, would you be like, asking that because I live with Hispanic people? No, no, I asked that because uh, because the music that you you know lean to, you know, death metal, right? It's always known for the Caribbean rhythms. So I was, just, you know, <laughs> yeah. I was just, you know. No, we don't have that. We do have maracas in the house. But BC, you kind of buried the lead here at least a little bit. Tank Davis fighting in Washington D.C. for the tune-up fight on well, January seven. Bury the lead tell for you. you. For, huh? for you, Luke, right? As a homer. For you, oh, that's a barrier. Dude, league. I got to tell you, having a home game, I, we don't know his opponent yet, but having a home game, I, I cannot tell you how excited I am for that, number one. And number two, BC, we got to get the doc cams out of oh, retirement. Wow. If Tank Davis is coming to DC, we got DC in, or excuse me, we got BC in DC. Yeah, Lots you can't of fit BC in It's going to be great. Yeah, you can't fit BC and DC in DC because one of the two have <laughs> has let themselves go a bit. Well, actually, both of them. But to be fair, BC and DC is an event. Hopefully, we can unlock the doc budgets, which have you know since since left, right? <laughs> uh, you know, and get this going. But yeah, uh, Tank Davis against anybody January seventh to start setting up. I heard Boots Ennis could be on that card. I mean, there, look, a lot of a lot of good things coming oh to date. God. So let's let's put a cap on topic one, which is a huge night of boxing down the road but how about topic two a massive night of mixed martial arts on national television is coming your way february 4th the announcement just happened some 30 minutes ago and let's be fair it's a big one or maybe this is topic one and a half because our other lead story is that bellator mma is coming back to cbs with a star-studded doubleheader february 4th at the forum in los angeles in Inglewood, that features Ryan Bader versus Fedor Emelianenko in a rematch for the Bellator Heavyweight Championship. They, of course, met a few years back in the finals of the World Grand Prix. And Yoel Romero 
against the winner of tonight's Corey Anderson, Vadim Nemkov light heavyweight title rematch, which is also for the $1 million world prize uh, of the Grand Prix in that co-main event. Luke, the last time Scott Coker has done this, this old trick, which is now a timeless trick in his playbook, was the stretch of five fight cards at Strikeforce had on CBS from 2008 to 2010 when guys like Fedor Emelianenko did five, six million live viewers. In 2023, though, this still feels like a power move. What is your reaction to Bellator's breaking news on this morning? I think this is, uh, well, I have, a few, I have a few different feelings about it. Um, well, one, this is, it might, I don't know if the press release says this, but this is my understanding. This is supposed to be the retirement fight for Fedor Emelianenko. So him getting to do his retirement fight on CBS feels right. That feels right. That feels like there's a grand stage for one of the most important fighters, frankly, in all of MMA history, certainly in the MMA heavyweight division. That part I like a lot. Also, Bellator getting on CBS. I'm glad that in, you know we work for uh, Paramount, so we're all part of this family in some kind of way. Obviously, these decisions are made without our input in any kind of way. But what I mean to say is that I like that the the company, remember the company bought Bellator, they own it, right? So using it and leveraging it with its existing platforms in, in the biggest way possible for biggest uh, events in the sense of Fedor's retirement fight, like this all makes sense. And I, I, I lived through very explicitly, I lived through the unfortunate, you know, Nashville brawl involving um, the Diaz's and Mayhem Miller. I remember that, but there was a lot of glorious history for Strike Force on CBS as well. This is a, a good return for that. I think it's good for the brand. I think it's good for Fedor. My only qualm would be that I, I just, for his retirement fight, and I said this before, so I, I, I'm not going to change my view, I would have liked to have seen a different fight. Now, in the end, I think somewhat Coker's hands are tied because you want to put Fedor on CBS. You need somebody that the casual fan would know if you're going to go to this big platform, mission accomplished. And the problem is that Fedor really wanted this particular fight. Apparently, this was the one he was looking for. He wanted to right this wrong because, remember, he got dusted in less than a minute the last time they fought. Were I were I king of MMA for a day or something, I would have loved to have seen Fedor versus Anderson Silva or something. I know they tried to make the JDS one, but his whole shit came apart quite literally, so they couldn't. So I'm a little bit. I don't. I don't. I don't necessarily love the matchup itself. But the news for Bellator and what this could mean for his future is frankly enormous. This is enormous well, see, news for them. See, this is a big move. This is a power move from Scott Coker. And like I mentioned, it's from his old playbook, but it's a timeless uh, move in, in, in many ways. I get your point about the matchup, but I'm wondering, Luke, like I don't even look at the fatal retirement. It's a nice selling angle. One, I don't believe it because I think Fedor is at a point where he's found new life. That knockout of Timothy Johnson in Moscow was a little eye-opening that, you know, the quick hands are still there. We've counted them off many, many times before. No, he's no longer elite, but yet he's back in this title fight, which is could be the perfect send-off. I just don't think he's going to go away, Luke, because I think that Anderson Silva fight could still be very viable, especially potentially under the Bellator banner. But I'm wondering if this is an introduction to Coker and, you know, maybe more. I mean, let's not forget, Luke, in addition to first Kimbo and Elite XC being on CBS, then Fedor and Strikeforce, what was it, five, six years ago with Keith Thurman versus Sean Porter on big CBS that did monster, you know, six million views. We had Keith Thurman versus Danny Garcia the, the, the year after that. I want to know if this is the opening of, of a movement toward that direction again to the type of attractions that, that really bring in a different level of audience 
Uh, Fedor wanted this fight, as you mentioned. If he's going to go out, he wants to go out big, and, and, and fighting for the heavyweight title is great. Uh, I don't know if we should call it Fader Bader or Fader or Bader Fader. Look, I can't air hair. I can't figure that out. But the point is this: um, it's going to be all action. It's probably only going to last a minute and a half, two minutes either way, right? So yeah, I think it's going to be very exciting. It's crazy that Fedor is still in this spot because we saw him on CBS. It wasn't against Brett Rogers, and he was getting rocked, and he had to rally back for a dramatic knockout. And you know, yep. once Bigfoot Silva sat on his chest, it looked like it was all over back then. And here we are now. The the fan that that is no longer an MMA fan is going to get into this and is going to come back and want to see it. That co-main event is fantastic with a red-hot Yoel Romero reformed at 205 pounds, taking on the winner of Corey Anderson and Vladine Nemkov. I think this is a big power move. And as much as maybe Fedor against somebody a little less elite than where Bador stands in at heavyweight for Bellator right now, given Fedor's age, I get the point. We saw this before. It was a quick knockout. But what happens if, if Fedor and Emelianenko wins this? Oh, right? what let, let me be clear about this. I, like, before this kind of rejuvenated run, I would have been like, oh, well, Bader's just going to win this outright. And I do think when the odds come out that Ryan Bader will probably still be the favorite. But Fedor has had this, like, very improbable surge. And I do think that Bader is beginning to show a little bit of a decline, actually. So to yeah. me... This is not, I don't, I'm not expecting the first fight redux. That's not what I'm saying at all. In fact, I think Fedor's chances of winning this are as high as I won't say they've ever been. But um, in recent memory, I, I, this is the, this is his best window. Let's put it like that. Uh, so I, I'm not expecting the first one all over again. I, but also something to be said here, BC, like strike force occupied a different space in MMA than Bellator does right now. Now MMA was different back then, so we're, you know UFC was smaller and the industry and TV, was smaller. TV was different back then. TV too, to be fair. TV was totally different back then, and so it's been you know Bellator has a very good roster, and in some ways, if you compare it to the Strikeforce roster, it's much bigger, it's much fuller in certain ways. Maybe obviously the top-down heaviness of having Cormier and Rockhold and all those guys isn't quite necessarily the same, but it's a it's a it's a huge roster that they have. This is the first. I won't say the first. This is a big moment for Bellator in reliving and then kind of reframing a little bit themselves in light of Strike Force. This is getting a little bit of that Strike Force treatment that they used to have under the Bellator banner because they're not they're very different organizations. They occupy and mean different things. This is a turbocharging of their fortunes to begin 2023, and that's good for MMA. It's good for us. It's good for fans. Um, I'm excited to see what it looks like. Well, the reason why I don't get upset at all by, by this matchup is this. Sometimes you and I, in our many lengthy hours we do talking to each other on camera, we've talked to, you know, hey, look, I kind of miss Coker's playbook with Bellator when he first got there, where he would take some chances in that other area, the Dada 5000 fight, which didn't, you know, was almost disastrous, or even, you know, old Shamrock against old Gracie in a trilogy. And I was, you know, straight up and saying I kind of miss that playbook, that part of it, that 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 hook, which if you're going to compete in this very crowded MMA space, sometimes you do have to reach to that level. I mean, even UFC with CM Punk in recent years did that. Bellator was great at that for a while. That's a bubble, though. It can be popped and, you know, the matchups can go disastrous, as I talked about right there. But even though this is the, the reason why I love this one is the fact that Fedor is still here. The fact that he still has huge power and quick hands, and as we just said about Bader, it's like, yeah, he's 2-0 at heavyweight this calendar year, and he's still the champion, 
but he got knocked out twice in the year and a half before that in light heavyweight. He's 39, so, you know, there's no guarantee that this is a replay of the first fight. But even if it's a mismatch, it, it's still that old playbook of getting some type of crossover attraction that you kind of have to see, and then by getting people to sit there and see that, they see what else you have to offer on the card. I mean, look, Yoel Romero versus either championship winner there at light heavyweight is 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 going to be call. great That's, theater. I, I love that. You, the, the big the big news is obviously Bellator to CBS. Great, uh, Fedor on it. Great. Again, I, I don't hate the matchup with with Fedor. I would have preferred a different one, but you know they probably tried and it, it just didn't go that way. But the other piece of big news that is so exciting. Wait, wait, is that but the don't take that. Don't go down that road yet, Luke, okay? I'm, I'm interrupting you because we're getting to that and we talked about it, but I, I was just closing my point here oh, of sorry. saying this is that old playbook, but it's also for the heavyweight championship at the same time. So it's kind of serving both masters. You're going in the crossover carnival route, but it's an absolute legitimate fight in your rankings with a legend. Whether he gets knocked out and retires there, it's still a moment. And oh, by the way, what happens if Fedor wins? Then you've got a potential bonanza. Even if Fedor doesn't win, if the ratings are through the roof, then you can take AJ McKee and potentially put him on CBS, right? There are things that you can do moving forward using a little bit of the old playbook, even with the changes in TV now to streaming being so much heavier and still make a major impact. But, Luke, along with, look, I hope they put Aaron Pico on this card. I hope you load it up with the kind of fights you want the casuals to see. You got to agree you were about to go down that road. Casual or hardcore, that co-main event's fantastic. Right. So the winner of tonight's bout will be the undisputed Bellator light heavyweight champion. Either Vadim Nemkov will retain or Corey Anderson's going to be your new guy. Whoever wins is going to turn right around and fight Yoel Romero on CBS on this card. Dude, Vadim Nemkov versus Yoel Romero, yes, please. Or Corey Anderson versus Yoel Romero, yes, please. I would be happy, delighted to see either of those. And this is, to me, the right call by Scott Coker to put Yoel Romero in this fight. His run of wins in Bellator since, I think he lost to Phil Davis uh, previously, you know, the, the the wins have not been against the most credentialed opponents, but Romero is a fan favorite. He won them convincingly. He looked good. He still looks spry for his age, which is just incredible. If you're going to make a move with Yoel Romero, right now is the time. Love the call. Prefer the weight class of 205 for him. Can't say a single bad thing about that co-main event. I love it. Yeah, I think UL's last fight, Luke, when he announced after that he was committed to making middleweight again and wants to come after the title, and uh, and by the way, that still could be in play. I think since he's announced that and gotten to better shape, that you know some of that magic seems to be back. He looked a little flat at the new weight class. Yeah, I agree. Off. I agree. And, and look, changing organizations, changing weight classes, getting older, these things are not so easy, but I think you're right. He has begun to smooth things out a little bit in this new home. And in either case, against Nemkov or against Corey Anderson, if he ends up beating Nemkov tonight, uh, it's it's just you can't go wrong either way with that. All right. In seconds, we're going to transition into the weekend picks. We're going to get break down that main event and that co-main coming your way. Final question, Luke, on the topic of Scott Coger and company going back to big CBS. Uh, it is a big deal. It, it, we can argue it's, you know, arguably not as big, certainly as, you know, a decade plus ago, before the streaming wars, but how big could this be even with today's TV reality? I mean, there's still a lot of people out there, Luke. I'm looking at middle America 
who may not be streaming their 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 networks, right? They could still be going it with the old uh, cable system in the in the box. I mean, still kind of feels like a big deal in that regard. Do you, do you see big numbers coming from this? Hard to say exactly what this will do. I don't know what to make of it right right out of the gate. We only found out this news late last night, so I haven't had a whole lot of time to noodle it. You look at some of the previous outings on CBS they had done they had done in the some to the low to mid uh, millions. Um, I don't really know what is possible, but I do have to say that if they promote it the right way, and by the way, I think you'll be able to stream this as well on Paramount Plus if you're like if you don't have traditional TV and you just have the app, so you're good there. But the question is like they've got this brand and they've got some good talent on this brand and they've got fighters people care about on this brand. It's just good to see it get pushed in a way where the wider world can get a much bigger look at it. Like, let's be yeah. real about MMA. MMA in the years since Strike Force was on CBS, it has consolidated a little bit. There's, there are some new players like One and PFL, but the UFC has only gotten bigger in that time. It's harder, actually, for any other entity to compete, which is why Bellator is not exactly the same as Strike Force, even though there are obviously some commonalities. This kind of thing, I'm not going to say levels the playing field between Bellator and UFC. That's not exactly right. Bell UFC has a, you know, like they're arguably a monopoly. But, but, this is a massive just burst of wind at the back of Bellator. They've got something, given the ownership group, to get their, their vision of things and their product leveraged in a way that really no other promoter can say. I mean, yes, obviously PFL is on ESPN, um, and they do sometimes get that treatment, but this is like prime time treatment. You are the only yeah. star of the show. There's no other MMA entity on CBS. It's just them. This kind of thing is majorly helpful for their fortunes. So what it will do, I don't know. We'll have to see how it's promoted and how it all looked and how it but, is well re all received. But, but this kind of thing is, I would say, a, a little bit overdue for Bellator. They've been due for this for a while. And I'm curious to see what it does for the brand. Yeah, and and I have to say, the reason why I started to tee that question up is, no, the landscape is different from 2010, 2008, in terms of how people watch this stuff. But you have the NFL playoffs on CBS, still the most watched linear network to promote this. And, you know, do people are people still flipping through the channels and come across this? Yeah, that's still, that's still happening, Luke, to a certain degree. Maybe not in 15-year-olds, but... Um, there, there's a way that this can be big, and I, and, and I think it's worth the effort. So I'm, I applaud all those involved. Topic number two, official, takes us to tonight's uh, Bellator 288 card. We've also got UFC in one to give our picks and preview, but 288's a good one. Chicago, tonight, 9 p.m. Eastern, only on Showtime, where, of course, you already know, you can get your 30 days free by going to Showtime.com right now. MMA, boxing, Cosby documentaries, don't miss it, okay? Don't freaking miss it. Luke, don't miss this main event. Vadim Nemkov is still your light heavyweight champion, but he's a plus 185 betting underdog against the red-hot Corey Anderson. Minus 215 is the odds for the favorite. They met in April. You remember what happened midway through the third round. Accidental headbutt as Corey Anderson dove in in top position. Stopped that fight. No contest. We talked ad nauseum really Wednesday about this storyline of this mulligan, this second chance for Vadim Nemkov. We talked to Corey about it on the couch, about now he's got the tape and the intel. Does that matter, though, given how good Corey Anderson's A-game is entering this rematch tonight? 
Man, that is just the central question to this entire fight. And there's really, really, really no way to know. And, you know, you could say, well, look at other fighters who have had a chance to deal with Corey Anderson and what the rematch might look like, like Jan Blahovich. I mean, if you've never seen the first fight between Corey Anderson and Jan Blahovich, Corey Anderson runs his ass over. Like, it's not really competitive, hardly at all. And then the second fight, he got viciously KO'd, you know? So is that the story here? Is that the way this is going to go? Now, there was much more time apart between them than this one and that one. So, you know, we're talking a little somewhat about apples and oranges. I just don't know, BC. You're asking a central question. It's the most important question. It's the one we have to have an answer for. But unfortunately, there's simply no way to know. My hunch is this, though, BC. My hunch is this. When you watch their first fight, Anderson, as we indicated on Wednesday, was slowly beginning to take over, right? And remember, Anderson comes with a, from a good team, a good coach. Like, they know what they're up against here. They know what, who they've got in Corey as well. Um, and Corey seems to also understand the same thing you're talking about, that I'm going to have to bring things differently. I tend to think that given how much better he was, which I'm not saying he was a huge amount better. I'm saying given what we saw, making up that difference in the time since the last fight is certainly possible. I think this one probably goes the distance, but I still, I still think Corey Anderson will have distinct wrestling advantages at least by the end of the second probably beginning of the third round. Is that enough to win? That's a separate question. Will he be able to have distinct advantages in wrestling exchanges from before the championship round start? I think he will. I think he absolutely will. But but there are still there's just so much that's hard to know, BC. I don't yeah. know exactly how to measure that. I'd be curious to see what you think of it. Well, I think, you know, it goes back to their first fight, too. There's so much we don't know about what rounds four and five may have looked like because... I am here to tell you that, you know, Nemkov was in this fight more than we tend to remember. But I also, when I hear Corey Anderson's comments on our couch about how that fight went, he's not wrong from the standpoint that he waited out the hot pocket first round. You know, Nemkov seemed to win that from distance. But once he started weaponizing the cardio and mixed it with sound striking and obviously the, the aggressive wrestling takedowns, dude, Nemkov wasn't, you know, in fight or flight mode or wasn't, you know, on tilt. But he was gassed to a degree. This wasn't the the Nemkov that we see going downhill, taking control, leading with the jab, landing those hard body kicks, just kind of starting to walk you back and make you wonder if if, if you really want to be in this, if you're willing to trade with him. That guy wasn't there. That guy was on his back exhausted. Given Nemkov's track record before the tournament started, which, by the way, scored four straight wins, three of them by knockout against current or former Bellator champions, then went into the tournament and, you know, looked great in the first two rounds. I want to give him that nod that he had an extra gear potentially and he could have done something. So, you know, in either way, we don't know until we see this rematch. He will, in some degree, you have to believe, benefit from the the, the second chance and the chance to, to, at the very least, go after that cardio and just step that game up knowing now what he's up against. But Corey can trade Luke on the feet. He's not, you know, he's not in a spot where he can lose the fight on the feet, I don't believe. But do you think Corey's dynamic enough to win the fight on the feet if he has to in the rematch? With volume. With volume. Like, if you're talking about power or even to a certain degree, like, slick kickboxing, I think Nemkov's better. I think on yeah. that level, he's better. But Corey's jab, his footwork, his lateral movement, his level changing, right? You're talking, to, you're talking about just the striking, but that's... That's part of it too, right? Where you're at least threatening the takedown, that kind of a thing. 
I think that if he can get the jab going and really begin to pressure, remember, here's one thing I do feel very confident saying. Even if Nemkov's cardio is the best it's ever been for him, it's not going to be better than Corey's. I, I just I have a very hard time believing he's going to out cardio Corey Corey Anderson. That seems unlikely at, you know, putting it mildly. So through volume, through jab, through just constantly just raining on this guy, do I think he could outstrike him long enough to win the contest? It would be hairier because you're dealing with a guy in, in Nemkov who can thump, who can fight at different ranges in certain ways. I don't think Corey quite can. But yeah, dude, through volume, through behind the jab, Corey Anderson absolutely can win this strictly on the feet. He's got that that kind of stylistic favorability and just frankly overall ability to get that done. Well, he's always had sneaky striking from the standpoint if he can come out with the big strike that you know you just didn't see coming the way based on the way his body was moving you know he disguises well and explodes so I think he can level up there but you know do I expect Nemkov to though end up on his back regardless as we said that's the key question I think if you're Nemkov you have to look at it as I can be on my back for two rounds right if 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 he's just if he's just better than me and he gets me down a couple times in one round and I'm just fighting off the top position, okay, but it, it cannot be more than two. He's got to set himself up in those championship rounds to be in a spot, meaning Nemkov, to keep it on the feet and then use that kickboxing advantage that we talked about, particularly through distance with the jab, but also the kicks. Those kicks have to be there. They have to be dangerous. They have to be a constant threat. What's interesting is the odds flipped. Nemkov, a slight favorite in the first fight, now a slight underdog. But look, I went back and looked at the tournament opening odds in January of 2021 as to who would potentially win the tournament. No surprise at that point that Nemkov was the betting favorite at 9-5 to five odds to win the whole thing. But it might be surprising to remember that tied for 5th and 6th place was Corey Anderson and his first-round opponent completely unheralded Davledan Yagshimuradov. There it is. They both were 10 to 1 on the standpoint of winning it. So it's like, don't forget, you know, Rumble Johnson was RIP was an unknown. So he was he had like the third best odds. Romero's in there. Ryan Bader was in there. Phil, you know, Phil Davis and Machida had the worst odds, but they opened Corey Anderson as a 10 to 1. I mean, you know, with with arguably the fit with really the fifth best odds here. He's been on fire. He's been getting better each fight. His confidence, you heard on our couch, is through the roof. He may be just better than Nemkov at the end of the day. You know what I mean? Like, that's that's what we may end up finding out. But I agree with you. I think it goes five rounds. And we're going to find out what we should have the first time around. And even if Nemkov uses the advantage to get better, that might mean a better fight, Luke. Even better fight. You know? Yeah, I think this one will be closer. Before, it was uh, it was exciting in the sense that we both thought Nemkov was going to win, and here comes Corey Anderson doing things that, through his Bellator run, no one had done to Nemkov. Like, let's be clear about that. The success that Anderson had in the first fight with Nemkov, no one else in Bellator had that success with him. Like, obviously, Davis was able to slow the fight down and make it close, but, like, you know, pr- prolonged periods of top control after takedowns, like, no, like, that didn't happen. And so we were like, whoa, what is happening here? And you're right, dude, listen... I think all of us, to an extent, I can certainly speak for myself here, and if you feel differently, by all means, say so, BC, but I have slept on Corey Anderson a lot like throughout the course yeah. of his career. There's been times where I'm like, okay, he's getting better, and then he has the loss to Blahovich, or so, so, something happens, or I think it didn't OSP viciously head kick him at some point, right? Like, you know, there's been moments where he's kind of bu- bubbled up and then fell, and then bubbled up and then fell, but I agree with you. I do feel like maturity-wise and everything else and technical development-wise, 
Remember, he's how old is he? 31, 32, 32. at most? 32? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, the guy is really now smack in his prime. That cannot be lost here. So if you're like me, and at times you've been like, well, Corey Anderson's talented, but I just don't know about this matchup or that matchup. Fair enough, I'm with you. But I think now is the time to look at this and be like, okay, fair enough. He had growing pains, but now he's a fully mature MMA fighter. What do you have on your hands now? Different equation. Yeah, I think he's a better fighter than he was on that four-fight win streak that led up to the loss to Blahovich in the rematch, where he was looking like a dark horse UFC title challenger. And, you know, he was told before that, you know, that fight against uh, Johnny Walker, that Walker was going to get the title shot if he beats him. So at that point, that was a pretty damn good Corey Anderson. But I think that everything that has happened since then, it's just changed him. I mean, look, he entered Bellator with, like, full-on BDE. You know, almost like, hey... I was just in that pool of sharks. I know I could dominate this pool. And now that's not automatic. I mean, we've, you know, we're part of the narrative of this fight is does the winner have an argument of being the best light heavyweight in the world? And it, I think it's still an argument. Like we said Wednesday, yeah, you know, the first loss of Nemkov's career did come against Prohatska, but that was seven years ago. And, you know, it, it ended after one round when, when uh, Nemkov couldn't continue. And then Anderson's got wins over the two former champions in the UFC before that. So I think Anderson has just made the leap and it's come from. That full combination. He got his health cleared after the the setback after the Blahovich loss, which was scary. They thought he might have heart issues and wasn't going to fight again. And he's certainly been very vocal about the combination of money and respect that he feels he's getting from Bellator that he wasn't getting there. He's he's coming. He's coming to fulfill those dreams. So I didn't think the first fight would look like the way it did. Meaning, if you told me ahead of time, stylistically with the takedowns, it would have looked that way. I'd be like, okay, I guess I could see that. I didn't think it would look that way with Anderson's, you know, body language and and, and physical appearance just showing us, like, badass domination. And Nemkov, again, not, not on tilt, but struggling to keep up. I didn't think we'd see that. Even if you told me ahead of time that Anderson was going to win with wrestling, I didn't think you would see that visual difference between the two in terms of like momentum and maybe even skill in that moment. Yeah, we have slept on Corey Anderson. He gets a second chance too to prove everyone wrong, get that million bucks, and now we know fight on CBS if he wins, defending his title against Yoel Romero on February Mm -hmm. 4th. Not small, not not a not a small escalation. This this is the big leagues here too. So happy to see that, Luke. As it pertains to a prediction, though, you said it would go the distance. Minus two fifteen, Corey Anderson plus one eighty five, Nemkov. Does Anderson raise that title at the end of the day? You know what, man? I've been a big believer in Nemkov. When he knocked out Ryan Bader, I was like, holy shit! If you guys have never seen that knockout, go back and find it. He looked like a goddamn murderer in that fight. I couldn't believe how just slick and athletic and fast he looked. And I thought the first time he was going to look slick, athletic, and fast against Corey Anderson. He just didn't. He, again, to your point, he was in the fight more than perhaps memory might tell you. But Corey Anderson just was able to do things, as I indicated, no one else can do, or I should say had done to that point. I'm going to stick with Corey Anderson, man. I've been a big believer in Nemkov. I do think he's one of the best light heavyweights in the world. But Corey Anderson really seems to me to be crystallizing every every good thing that's happened to him, every failure that's motivated him, all the technical development he needed. He is primed for this one. He could get knocked out. He's dealing with a heavy hitter, an athletic younger guy. Let's make no mistake about it. This is a tough fight. It's a close fight. I think Corey Anderson's going to edge him out. We shall see. Yeah. I think the, the, the recent history tells you Anderson by decision is a good feeling. I feel good about that. But I am interested to see, can Nemkov, like we didn't get to see in the championship rounds in April, 
Can he show us an even higher gear? The Team Fedor product, pretty damn badass himself. This will be great tonight from Chicago. Luke, the Coleman event, though, we feel like Esparza versus Young Wei Lee here. It feels like we've already crowned 4-0 in Bellator. I believe 16-0 overall. Usman Nurmagomedov, 23, 24 years old. Man, I got to get my stats up to date here. But he'll be fighting for the lightweight title that is around the waist of Patricky Pitbull Freedy, Freer. Free. 24 years old as Usman Nurmagomedov. Look, before we get into the X's and O's on this breakdown, you echoed pretty hard on Wednesday, and rightfully so. Pitbull's claims about Usman not having earned this are, are glass housey. And I had we had uh Patricky on CBS Sports HQ after the weigh-in yesterday, and he was, you know, all matter of fact. No, this guy doesn't deserve it. He's only getting it because of his name. Gosh, that's a bit hypocritical when his own brother gave up the title for him to have a chance to fight it against a guy who just beat him. I mean, we gotta be, we do have to be fair here. Yes. So I want to ask you off the start, is that just Patricky being a badass and doing something that it doesn't matter if it's true, it's what he needs to tell himself to overcome the odds? Or do you think he believes that? I think a lot of fighters have a me against the world attitude, you know? And I think that's just an occupant, for some anyway, for some, because everyone's a little bit different. But I think for some in my you know, nearly 20 years of covering this or covering combat sports, what I've realized is these guys live and die in their own mind. And sometimes they will tell themselves shit that has either little or sometimes even no evidentiary backing just to give themselves the architecture they need to go and accomplish a goal, to go and accomplish a mission. They will truly just lie to themselves over and over and over again, brainwash themselves, as you can say, to go accomplish a goal. I think he's bitter that, you know, a guy with the name Nurmagomedov is getting what he sees as fast treatment. He's been in that organization a long time. He did have a six-fight win streak, or I, I think a six-fight win streak before, uh, or I should say, um, since the loss to Chandler, he had one, and then the whole Queeley thing, or and even Tofik Masayev. But, you know, he, he had put in his dues in Bellator in a way that I think he feels like Nurmagomedov has it. And fair enough, right. if that's the way he wants to look at it, that probably is true. He hasn't put in the dues. But the reality is what the reality is, man. If you want to be champion, there's a target on your back. You have to accept the top guy, and he can say he didn't fight anyone. Right. Except the guys that he did fight, he made them look like fucking amateurs. That's the difference. And I and you look at the odds now, and they are wide apart. There's one place. I won't say who it is, BC. Look at some of these odds. Our friends at Caesars, they have Nurmagomedov as a minus 650 uh, Patriki at a plus 475. I'm looking at some other ones down the line here. They've got Nurmagomedov as a, higher than a minus 1,000. Now, that seems a little bit crazy to me because Patriki is battle-tested and he's got um, big power and whatnot, but I think that Patriki has told himself something to give himself a reason to get up for this fight, to get himself as prepared as he could be. It doesn't lack a lot of evidence. Or excuse, excuse me, it, it lacks a lot of evidence and it doesn't really hold up under much scrutiny, but if that's the thing that he needs to get the best out of himself, Yeah, that's what he's going to say. Well, I think you presented that right, the whole idea about like what Patriki has accomplished. In some ways, he's the little nog to his brother to some degree, which is hard, but this fight, he's closing in on some Bellator records. He's tied for first already with most, most knockouts in Bellator history is Patriki. And if he wins, he'll move into a second place spot right below his brother for most wins in Bellator history. So, you know, we think of who's the poster boy of Bellator. It was Michael Chandler. It became Patricio Pitbull. Patricky's not too far from that. So I get that standpoint. But yeah, he is a monster, monster underdog. So, Luke, I'm looking back at Patricky's career. 
I mean, you know, because he's at the he's at a point where it was good to see him finally get his moment. He's 36 years old. He went in there and stopped Quigley and got the title. Good on him. You look up and down, his career record is 24 and 10. God wins over Benson Henderson, Josh Thompson, Sadawad, right? Quigley, Huerta. He has, though, typically lost when he stepped up really high, twice to Chandler, twice to Derek Anderson, Eddie Alvarez got him, and of course, recently with Tofik Musayev under the uh, Ryzen banner, and Quigley by Dr. Stoppage there. Um, he's always been very good, not great. It just feels like Usman's already great and might be like super special. So in that equation, it's like historically Pitbull should lose this matchup because he is putting his head high above water. How does he pull the upset though? How does Patriki in a five round fight here where Usman's never been past three and that was one time, how does the nearly five to one underdog Pitbull pull off this upset tonight. The, the reality about Nurmagomedov is, you know, you hear that name and you think, oh, good grappling, which he does have, like he very much does have. Um, but he actually has pretty good striking too. Uh, he's not quite like Habib in that way. He's got a pretty good, I would say, maybe even a really good kickboxing game. Now he's a little bit more hesitant with it to use it at all times. And I think you might see that here because Patricky is such a big puncher. But to me, BC, it's like, again, I want to be clear. If, if Nurmagomedov was forced to fight this on the feet, do I think he could still win? I do. I think it'd be much harder. That would be a little more coin flip territory, but he could get it done. But if Patricky can't stop the takedown or stop the transitioning and the chain wrestling of a guy like Nurmagomedov, it's 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 frankly fucking hopeless for him. I mean, I just don't. I, if that if that is not in play, where you know, not every time, not every time. Remember, it's a five round fight, right? It's fighting for a title. Doesn't have to, you don't have to have a hundred percent takedown defensive rate. But if you basically, basically can't stop it and you can't really create separation to break up the chain wrestling and the chain attacks that uh, Usman Nurmagomedov is so good at, it's a wrap for you. It's a wrap. You, you're not yeah. going to win. So really, that's the key. He has to not only stop the takedown, he has to find a way to disengage from that chained process that Nurmagomedov puts together. Look at the Chris Gonzalez one. From It goes to a knee to a knee tap. The guy scrambles, locks up the power guillotine, and then he goes. That process cannot take place for prolonged periods of time. Otherwise, he loses. Luke, I had to bring my crystal ball into the shop to get it looked at after that Poirier debacle <laughs> last week. But the biggest statement Nermaga Madoff could make to justify the odds and his hype and his name, I think would be a spectacular finish, like a head kick knockout. Dude, that would be impressive to win the title against a veteran so battle-tested, but that's kind of potentially in play too, Luke. He's very dynamic on the feet. I mean, you know, if you're going to bet a finish here, you might go the submission route like you just said. But if he comes out here and head kicks Patricky, like that's about as good as he could do tonight, right? That I mean, that's that's like, hello world, I'm here. Yeah, which by the way is in play. Like, he can do it. I mean, this highlight to yeah. me is incredible for what he's able to show here. The guy he's beating is a Team Alpha Male member, um, and he just made it look like it was nothing. Uh, that is in play, but that's more at kickboxing range. So if Patricky comes out and he's... like, There's the other part, too. Like, is Patricky going to pressure real hard? I tend to think not necessarily because he doesn't want to, like, push into a takedown so much, but he's going to have to put some kind of pressure behind him. He's going to have to move him back a little bit. So the question is how he negotiates that. But yeah, dude, on the feet, like the Usman Nurmagomedov is not Habib. He can strike on the feet very comfortably. I just feel like 
you know, what's the path of least resistance? Probably yeah. what you're looking at on the screen right now. Not a reminder, Bellator 288, the main card, 9 p.m. Eastern tonight on Showtime. Don't miss, I think it's kicking off the main card when welterweight Roman Feraldo brings his 8-0 record with eight knockouts, most of them spectacular. This time he's a minus-195 favorite on his first main card appearance against Levon Chokiel, plus-165. So, Luke, we talked about the setup for that fight. I want to see if he can keep that streak alive and look spectacular. Uh, a couple other goodies there. Don't miss that tonight. Luke, let's transition as well into UFC Fight Night, which goes down Saturday from the Apex. Heavyweights, underdog, Derek Lewis at plus 165. Three losses in four fights. Definitely at a feeling of a potential crossroads moment. Sergey Spivak, minus 195. Uh, somebody's getting knocked out, right? Well, this is a funny one, right? This is a funny one. So you know me, BC. I like the numbers. I like math. I like turtles. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. All right. <laughs> I like turtles. Yeah. yeah. So, yeah, so well, here's what all. Richard Mann, Dick Mann, came up with talking about Sergey Spivak and Derek Lewis. And to me, this is the one that, you know, holds all of the, this is the one that holds all of the cards. Basically, basically, uh, when Sergey Spivak gets the takedown, he almost always wins. And in fights where he doesn't get the takedown, the chances drop pretty significantly. Spivak has been somewhat overly reliant on his ground game. In the UFC, he has gone 5-0 and when he's able to land at least one takedown. However, when he has failed to land a takedown, he is 1-3. and But BC, you might be thinking, okay, well, it's takedown or bust then for Spivak. Well, here's the weird part. Lewis is kind of the opposite, and it doesn't make any sense. In UFC fights where Derek Lewis has allowed an opponent to land a takedown, so he has given up the takedown, he's 11-2. and two. And ready for this? In fights where his opponent has failed to land a takedown, he is 6-6. Six and six. Derek Lewis is better when someone gets him down. That's, the math is quite clear on this. He's 500 when there's no takedown involved. He's 11-2 otherwise. So, BC, what does that tell you? Urgency, to me, what right? that read on that is, is that when he doesn't have guys going for the takedown who kind of want to meet him mano a mano, it's somebody like a Tai Tuivasa who actually has a real threat of putting his lights out, and that's just the way that it goes. Conversely, the guys who want to take him down are kind of afraid of his power. They want to get away from his power. They want to get under, or, or not under, but, you know, they want to hide away from it and kind of get this. And we all know he's got deceptive defense where he'll just wait for something to happen and then burst and then start a scramble, then get back to his feet, and then he's punishing someone. So that's what it tells you. So is Spivak going to be part of that 11-2 and two or that 6-6? Six and six? It's hard to say exactly, but this is what you're up against. You have to ask yourself the question, who is Sergei Spivak? Is he the guy that wants to, like, almost in a trepidatious way, get away from the power? Or is he somebody who wants, who can kind of mix it up a little bit and therefore yeah. can get the takedown, but isn't hiding from that? That's definitely a key question in terms of what this will actually look like. Uh, I do wonder, though, that stat, if that means that when Lewis is on his back, he gets more urgency to to need to get up and make something happen, as opposed to fights where they're fighting at distance and, and sometimes he's playing a little bit too much of the pawing chess game. I don't know. His, his conditioning always is a big factor, though, it seems, into, into the wins and losses just the same. So the key question is whether Derek Lewis is coming or going. My key question for you, Luke, is 
even if Derek Lewis is coming, meaning he had the training camp he needed, he's in the right mental state, he's prepared to get the best out of what's left, can Spivak still beat him? Yeah. Yeah, I could. Okay. When when Spivak first came to the UFC, I thought he was a fine prospect, but not anything remarkable. And I still am not exactly sure like how good is he is. Right, we're going to find out tomorrow to some degree that answer. We'll just get a little bit more of an approximate answer to it. But there's simply no denying he has turned a corner. Right, there's just no denying his ability to mix everything together is just much more nimble before. He was kind of going one direction or the other, and there wasn't a lot of trickery. There wasn't a lot of smoothness between the different phases of offense, and now there is. There very clearly is. Now, the Greg Hardy fight doesn't necessarily tell you that because Greg is terrible on the ground, and you know that's why he's fighting Haseem Rockman Jr. this weekend or whatever the fuck that is. Yeah. But uh, <laughs> is that this week? I don't even know when that is anymore. Yeah, that's, that's Saturday. That's tomorrow, yeah. Yeah, okay, all right. So whenever the fuck that happens. But putting that aside, he's got real – here's the thing. He's got good ground and pound. He's got good balance. He's got good control. He's strong. He, uh, through Extreme Couture, has really worked on his overall striking and just the blending of the two. See, this is why it's like, I don't think it's a hold a Derek Lewis down at all costs. It certainly avoid some of the more precarious situations, but he can do damage to the guy and threaten him in ways that other guys can't. I will say something, though, man. I one time rolled with a guy who was like 350 pounds, just this fucking monster of <laughs> a man, all right? This guy was fucking terrible. Uh, he was good, but it was terrible to roll with him. And what I noticed is you get these big dudes, you can't really take mount on them, man, because it's just impossible to sit there and hold that with the space that you need. It's actually much better to go to side or turtle or something. But in MMA, that actually allows them to spring to their feet more easily. So this is going to be a question to me, BC, not so much if Derek Lewis's takedown defense or something like that, the traditional questions, but rather getting back to the one you posed before, which is... Okay, you can train your ass off and everything. Has Derek Lewis's chin been compromised? Is he shop-worn? Is he no longer willing to tolerate these difficult situations in a way where he might have had more competitive fire before? These, to me, are the questions that are more in play rather than will a guy be able to get a takedown or not because the, 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 those preconditions are the ones that are going to set up the results later. Look, to answer your question about grappling with people that size i go right for north south when that happens north sow yeah north sow yeah that's that's but only against female fighters so uh luke but thank you very much uh luke up and down this card we set up the storylines i want picks now the fight i care about well jack della madalena i care a lot about but i want to pick from you on this jennifer maya marina morose fight at 125 morose a minus 180 favorite Maya plus 155 looking to shake a two fight losing skid against elite foes. I, I mean, I think the, you know, if Moroz wins this, there's, there's a path for her to make a move here in this division. Does she get past that, that sturdiness and ground uh, game from Maya? Yeah. I don't know about this one, man. I am. Um, it's like, how do I say this exactly? Like each one could prey on the other's distinct flaws in the kind of like the perfect way. Like Jennifer Maya, obviously let's look at her takedown numbers here. Takedown accuracy, not high at 30%. Well, that's not altogether uncommon. But like, dude, what's the takedown defensive rate for Marina Moroz? Dude, it's 47%. I mean, that's just fucking low. It's just low. It's really low. 
you know, and then, you know, beating guy or beating, I should say, ladies like Sabina Mazo or Agapova, that's impressive. But Maya is much better than them on the ground. And also, she gets hit a lot. She has a positive differential, 4.04 to the 3.98. So it's positive differential, but barely, barely. Now, to that point, Maya has a negative differential, 3.61 to 4.24. So she actually gets hit more than she lands. So it's like, on the one hand, you've got a sort of a nimble striker of distance. And by the way, Morose has a three-inch reach advantage. Then on the other side, she's like fairly poor takedown defense and this capacity for someone like Maya to really overwhelm her. I, I, this is a bit of a coin flip for me. I prob I think that... Uh, fucking A. I think Moroz is surging, so I would probably lean towards her, but I have to tell you, like, there's very much a world where Maya goes in there, takes her down, takes her back, and just chokes her out inside of a round like that is very much on the table so i'll side with morose but uncomfortably bc dude that was a really good breakdown of a fight that i thought you were gonna you know kick me out and gloss over and be like yeah it's okay i don't care who wins let's go to the next one you gave like a you know good faith response there wow i mean i know you're only gonna watch this fight to read the articles luke but this is a good fight so <laughs> you know i want to see if morose can can take that leap she's gonna have to be way more active but this is the right setting oh uh, look give, give me the one you I, i'm telling you straight up Portugal's Andre Fialo is going to get into a war with Muslim Salikov, and it's going to be fun to watch. What else? What what's grabbing you here? Is it is it Mr. Dabalina? Uh, there's not. Yeah, it's Jack De La Madalena. Other than that, I don't really care about this card all that much. Okay, well, yeah. I'll be there for the uh, super sloppiness early in the fight card. Um, and I, I expect uh, Jack De La Madalena to have a bit of a tough fight early. I expect him to take over. This dude's adjustments, striking, are are sharp. He's he's real good. Okay. Do you think that uh, Rodolfo Vieira gets off the snide against uh, Amanda Bobby Cooper Bundridge's uh, baby daddy and man? I don't know. I don't know what to make of Rodolfo Vieira. Like I th we said this on Wednesday. I think he probably gets the sub, but to be honest with you, like, I don't have much confidence. Even if he gets mm -hmm. the sub here, it's like, do you now have confidence in him as a title contender? Like, not really, right? So... You know, he might he probably should be favored. I don't know what the odds are, but I'll, I'll slightly lean towards Vieira. Also tonight, MMA offers on Prime Video. It's one on Prime Video for 10 p.m. main card in the East Singapore Indoor Stadium. Uh, Rod Tang in that co-main event is going to be fighting for the Muay Thai Bantamweight title. But Luke, this is a very interesting main event when you have now former welterweight champion who just lost his title on the scales yesterday, Kiamrian Abasov, who unsuccessfully tried to move up to uh, middleweight and face uh, Reiner de Ritter there and got subbed. He was going to bring his welterweight title into a defense tonight against Christian Lee, the 24-year-old lightweight champion who's moving up for the champ champ opportunity. But Abasov came in one and a quarter pound over, was stripped. We're going to do it anyway as a catchweight. Uh, do you care, Luke? Because I, I I did some research. I'm into it now. Dude, I'll say this about one. Separate from the reality show. Although I'd love to be on The Apprentice. I'd love to go to Singapore with Jake and the doc cameras. Every time I do invest in one, I feel like it was a good investment when I come out of it. Yes. Right? Again, one does silly shit, and their head honcho, Chachri, says silly shit. But their product is good. It's a good product. If you actually sit down and watch it, it feels different. It feels unique. It feels, you know, unusual. And again, I, I'm a Prime uh, Amazon member, so it's you know very easy for me to watch. Like, there's a lot of good things about it. 
I want to take a step back here for just a second, though, BC, before we talk about the fights themselves, which I'm into. Dude, this whole... Sh can we finally... Can we finally, finally, finally put to bed the fucking bullshit that one has fixed weight cutting? This is a fucking joke of all jokes. They never show their shit publicly, hardly ever before. Years they didn't do anything with, well, we're going to have hydration testing. It's going to fix all this. They do them for the ones on Amazon Prime, and it's nothing but weight misses left and fucking right. They had 10 people yesterday who had missed weight initially in the hydration test. Even after retesting, I think they still had four. They had Jonathan Haggerty, who came up a weight class, still missed it. Uh, Kiamrian Abasov failed the hydration test twice and the weight. Uh, so he loses his title on the fucking scales. Dude, they haven't solved jack shit. It's a myth. It's smoke and mirrors. It's not real. It doesn't work. You have been led to believe nonsense. Stop buying into it. Folks, people in powerful positions, this is true worldwide, but people in powerful positions in combat sports will tell you nonsense and then use the prestige of the office of which they hold or the power which they occupy and use that as just simply rule by the virtue of popularity, rule by virtue of how much power they retain in the industry. Whether or not that statement or any of the statements they make has any relationship to the factual world as best we understand it. Stop giving promotions, any of them, any of them, the benefit of the doubt when they make claims about what they do or what they say or what they represent or what positions they hold or whatever. The only thing that matters in this world is what they can prove. And what they have proven is that their hydration system doesn't fucking work. All it right, doesn't all right, fucking all work, right. and it's a get, fucking smoke show. Thank you. Can we get off the soapbox? Look, I can never ask you about a one fight without you giving someone rant. And, you know, you certainly just got fired from any potential involvement on The Apprentice. Thank you very much for ruining my <laughs> chances. But um, uh, I'm not going to say you're wrong, okay? I mean, that probably could have been summed up in a sentence, but I liked your passion just the same. But do you like this fight? Abasov yes. versus Lee, champ yes. versus again, champ. That aside, that aside, card's God. great. Card's great. Card's great. So Abasov, I do wonder about the fact that he, like mentally, what does it do to you that you lost your title on the scales and this was supposed to be a champ champ fight? Now, the difference is Christian Lee is an exciting fighter, but he is supposed to be the smaller of the two here, right? So he's still kind of up against it in that way. And should be noted bit of a risk taker, bit of a risk taker. So like you wonder accepting risk and then being smaller, what that does to you in this particular contest. It's going to be hard to say exactly. They've reached a catch weight of 186.25, which is where obviously Abasov ended up. Um, I I don't, I, I would have picked Abasov cleanly before. I, I think I'm still going to pick MBC. I don't know if you have a different read on this. I'm, I'm looking to see it. I'm looking to see it. I don't have a read because I'm somewhat new on these guys, but I've been doing so, some uh, some some research to get up to this point. Look, I'll tell you right now, I'm interviewing uh, Rainier DeRitter, the two-division champion, after he's the amazing. show. He's, he's going to be headlining the next card. Yo, he's real good. So yeah, I, I watched. Dude, he had a submission of the year candidate this year. Yeah, so I just watched his last couple of fights, all you know, submission wins and incredible stuff. Abasov was one of those. But no, I want to see if Christian Lee can come up to the new division, take advantage of the situation, and try to, you know, I mean, look, one gives their guys a chance to do big shit, you know? Again, like I said on Wednesday, maybe that's part of the, the marketing idea. Let, you know, like get you in with, you know, we got DJ, come on over and see him. But 
Now you got to see what we really have. This, the winner of this could be one of those, you know, especially if it's Christian Lee here. Abasov would 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 not have the belt because of his miss, but we'll see. I'm here for Rod Tang. Yeah, Bibiano Fernandez, whatever. You want me to say anything else about this card, Luke? Uh, we'll say Bibiano Fernandez previously fought at bantamweight and is now at this fight at 153.25. Like they, he missed weight real badly. I don't know what happened there. That, by the way, obviously is not one's fault. That's I don't know what the fuck that is. The Rod Tang one is interesting, taking on Joseph Lasiri. Lasiri has fought up at flyweight uh, before, uh, but not in some time. He's the strawweight champ, so he's moving up. I do expect Rod Tang to win, but that one should be fun. And also, as I talked about it before, Cosmo Alessandri hasn't fought since that sort of disastrous fight for Sage Northcutt, where he got his face broken into a million pieces. He's taken on unheralded and, frankly, largely unknown Juan Cervantes. I expect Alessandri to, to, to shine here uh, as well, so... Should be a fun card, dude. Should be action-packed. I mean, they put together yeah. bangers on this card. It should be fun. I'm, I'll be interested on a future show, maybe ahead of that next fight, to talk some uh, DeRitter with you, Luke. This guy thinks he's the best grappler on the planet. So, well. well you uh, know, he's you, very good. He's have very you good. tapped Brendan Lynch of our social team yet? That's my question, right? Uh, well, I mean, you're asking a lot now. I mean, who could? You know what I'm saying? Right. Who could? I was debating whether Brendan Lynch could tap Brendan Schaub in a in a grappling match. I don't know about that. We'll see. We'll see uh, dude, one day. Bre Brendan Schaub's pretty good. I mean, he's out of like competition shape or whatever. But I, I, I'm prepared to be surprised. I'm definitely okay. So let's keep the show going. The only Look, problem I have... is, is Brendan Lynch is kind of small and Brendan Schaub is kind of big. So I mean, you know, is Brendan Lynch close enough to? Um, you know, uh, Gordon Ryan and looks to be considered a dime store version. <laughs> How far away is his jujuts? That's what I really need to see. I need to find out. Okay. Oh, just killing him. Just yeah. killing uh, him. Luke, breaking news tweet from Terrence Crawford. This is real. The real flex is I'm living life happy, paid, and a lot of y'all is sad, jealous, broken, miserable. Luke, yeah, your thoughts I got to tell you, that. he doesn't want that fight with Spence. And you know he doesn't. Oh, he doesn't really wow. want it. He doesn't really want well, it. Well, I think, I think a, a prince in another country wrote him an email and said, I could, you know, if you, if you send me money, I can get find uh, you know, $100 million for you to fight I, I just Spence. don't know how people could look at the available evidence and come to the conclusion that, like, I'm not saying both sides aren't at fault in some kind of way, but that you can say definitively... Crawford wants this fight as much as Spence does. Everything Crawford says, he did an interview with Max Kellerman, where he was like, yeah, my legacy is intact. And to an extent, he certainly is right. Like, he has done incredible things in the sport. If he decided to hang it up today, you know, we'd be talking about how great he is in, in myriad ways for long periods of time. But all of that, to me, the way in which he said it was just like, yeah, I don't really need this fight with Spence. And it's like, if you feel like you don't need it, Dude, he's been um, saying that for years, man. He's been saying it for years. I know, I'm but he's like really you. doubling down here of late. Like, yeah, uh, it's not, it just it, he does. He doesn't want the fight. He doesn't want the fight. There's like, a lot of our viewers that think we're way off on this, and that it's you know Heyman and Spence. I don't know. We don't know. We can only pair together what we hear, what we see in this. It's damn, make that fight, damn. So I, th I think I'm taking all of my pain from Spence Crawford, putting it over here, and filling that with Tank and Rye Guy, right? Just. Just yeah, you know I, mean, I mean, yes, exactly. Like you know, again, we, we I don't know who exactly is to blame. I'm sure Spence had in his side have something to say for it. But in the case of Tank and Ryan, they said fuck all that bullshit, make yeah. this fight, and they effed did. all that BS. Uh, topic number three, Luke. We have an announcement here. It's going to go down on this Perth UFC 284 card in Australia, February 11th. This this shit's starting to get loaded, right? This this card's starting to come together. We now have Kai Car France against Alex Perez in a key flyweight tilt 
Uh, while I do care what you think about that fight, Luke, are you starting to get jacked for 284? I mean, it's coming. And it's Islam Mahachev Volkanovsky. It's Yair and Emmett for the interim title. I mean, this shit's going to bang. Yeah, this is a good fight. Uh, certainly as long as this fight stays on the feet between Kaikara France and Alex Perez. Kaikara France should win this one walking away, but Perez is a good wrestler. He's a phenomenal scrambler. He can mix it up really well. That's a long way to travel for him. Uh, obviously, it's a much shorter flight for Kaikara France, but um, I like this as a get-back fight. Remember, he was beating Brandon Moreno in the rematch right up until he wasn't. You know what I mean? Yeah. He ate the body yeah. kick, and that's the whole thing, but he looked good. He has been massively improved. We talked about it, so... If he can get past a guy like Perez, you know, that that fight against Moreno didn't go his way. But I just, like, do you buy, BC, that Car, uh, Cara France is, like, totally out of the no. running for a title? No. I, I just don't believe that. Everything you said is accurate. Everything you said. And flyweights, I mean, they, they have car crashes. So, you know, guys are going to lose big fights and big moments, you know, and, and they're going to have to bounce back, as Moreno has done Time and again, as Figueredo did to win back the full belt. It's what you have to do at this level. And I didn't want to misrepresent that 284 is some absolutely loaded card. In fact, it's basically a local special after the top three and a half fights. I say half because, yeah, I, I, I'm excited about Car Kaya France, Kai Kara France against Alex Perez to a certain level. But those three, Luke, this is top heavy as all heck. This is great. A reminder, Islam versus Volkanovsky for the lightweight belt, Yair and Emmett for the vacant featherweight or the interim featherweight title, and Robert Whitaker, Paulo Costa as well. <laughs> I mean, you know, that, that's, yeah, fire yeah, me up, that's okay? Fire, fire. Yeah. You, you can start me up, I'll never stop, all right? Stop me up. Uh, let's go to topic four, Luke. It's about uh, Alex Pereira, Alex Pereira. Uh, Alex Potan, the middleweight champion of the world. Luke, I'm here to talk about him, his future, and taking stock of the moment, which was the upset, the fifth round knockout of Israel Adesanya. Before I go there, though, quickly, did you see Izzy, what, two days after that loss, walk into the MMA Hour studios with Ariel Hawani, and did you get a chance to hear that interview? Because I saw a lot of people saying he sounded a bit delusional. I went and listened to it, and I, I didn't think delusional. I just think it was somebody who was like, just so you all know, I was winning that fight for five, you know, four and a half rounds until I wasn't, and I know the reason why I wasn't, and it was you know those calf kicks. So you can all expect you know the same thing in the rematch, only better. Um, I didn't catch delusional from that. Did you check out any of that? I did not hear it. I did hear that people also said that he sounded delusional. Like, that same thing came my way. I have not had a chance to review it. But, dude, I just, like, when people accuse fighters of being delusional, it's like you're accusing them of being fighters. Like, delusion is the secret ingredient to MMA fighting success. Yeah, but, like, but separate from that, though, Luke, he fought great up until he lost, right? I right. mean, I didn't like how he hung in the pocket a lot, but now you know about the calf strikes and and... Okay, there you go. Right, like he was, again, he was up 39-37 on all three judges' scorecards heading into the fifth. He could have played prevent defense. I mean, I mean, I suppose, you know, Pereira has a say in this as well, but you get the idea. Like, he could have just ridden out the round as best he could have, and he would have fucking won. He would have fucking won. So, you know, I'm not sure exactly what he said. I didn't have a chance to hear it, but um, I'm, I'm skeptical that he was delusional in a concerning way. Delusional yeah, in an MMA regular fighter sense yeah, yeah probably 
The only thing I didn't love from both him and Ariel, who was, you know, he believes in it, so he went ham on it, was that they think it was an early stoppage. I get Adesanya's defense of Mark Goddard was the same referee who was at 236 when he fought Gastelum and didn't stop the fight when Kelvin was getting battered late, you know, like that, um, that he could have let that go knowing Adesanya's toughness. But I disagree with both of them. Look, I've watched that tape a million times, even with the argument of, dude, it's a title fighter. Dude, this guy's historically got a good chin or any of that. If you're standing, you're getting lit up. You're not throwing back, even though he was somewhat trying to cover up. Dude, that's a that's a, that's a stoppage. You know what I mean? You leave yourself kind of getting hung out to dry against a power puncher like that. They're not going to give you a long rope to get out of that. This isn't like Lesnar against Carwin where he is kind of covering up. I mean, it's different. Yeah, again, I, I think it was, you know, someone made a point that Goddard ref the fight that you love between Izzy and Kelvin Gastelum and let it go a lot longer. Which is yeah, true. Izzy made that point. I just told you he made that point. Oh, sorry. I was looking up. So I wanted to get to the heart of this fucking point, not to relitigate this. But yes, it, there is inconsistency between events. Between I know, I know. BC, BC. This is not even what we're supposed to be talking about. I want to talk yeah, about the so, other part of this conversation. I, I make di- I make dynamic shows regardless of what's on the rundown, Luke. Okay. <laughs> okay. Can we get to the central part of this? Yes, the central part of this is Alex Pereira as your new champion. And I like the videos of him going back to the gym, getting his upgrade on his belt from his coaches for his ground game. But, Luke, um, he's a bad boy. And, you know, Izzy can just say, look, I know how he got it done. I'll beat him in the rematch. The odds makers may agree with that. But he showed us a ton. Can this guy keep making 185? I already hear a lot of people talking about him, a threat at light heavyweight. What do you think about what the future is going to be like for him as champion now? Well, the reason we added this to the rundown is because I saw a ton of conversations semi-related to what you're asking, but let's crystallize it here a little bit, which is a buddy of mine is uh, RJ Clifford. I think he's a producer for like ESPN. I did work with him on um, Sirius XM Radio. He used to be a he's pro on MMA the fighter. show. Huh? But with with Laura Senko, he's right, the like right. on air producer. Fought, my, my guy RJ Clifford fought in Strike Force. I think he's a black belt in jiu-jitsu. Like he's legit. Here's what he tweeted, and it just caused a ton of controversy. Quote, and I would love you to get your reaction to this, BC. This is what he says. Alex Pereira earned that win over a top three pound for pound Izzy. Okay. Fight was awesome. But make no mistake, he writes, Pereira is the worst middleweight champion in UFC history. That's the quote. Now, that's a pretty controversial thing to say. Yeah, yeah, that's, that's, I mean. Okay, here are all the champions who've ever been a champion at middleweight. Dave Manet, Marilla Bustamante, Evan Tanner, Rich Franklin, Silva, Weidman, Rockhold, Bisping, Whitaker, St. Pierre, uh, and then Izzy, and then now, uh, obviously, Alex Pereira. Okay, so is he the worst one of them? I don't know that I agree with that. But I will say this. I've seen people being like, well, you know, how okay, he's better than that, and everyone's like, you know, he'll he'll be fine. And I'm like, okay, I don't know exactly how good his takedown defense is. I don't, we don't really know because he hasn't been tested by anybody who's got very good takedowns. But BC, where are you on the idea that if they made a fight with Vittori, not Whitaker, Vittori tomorrow, who would win? Well, the answer is that we don't know. Because Make a pick. just because somebody has gotten to the level where they've actually hoisted a championship yet has yet to answer all of the questions about their game, about their ability to go five rounds, about their, you know, anything doesn't mean that that 
they didn't maximize their potential and that they're not dangerous and impressive or that they're outright the worst middleweight champion in history. No, because what Alex showed was incredible poise in a lot of these intangible things that can lift you to the championship. We've seen people be more of a slugger than anyone else, and you can go all the way to the championship level like that. But if Alex Pareto didn't belong here, First of all, he would have gotten exposed along the way. May may have gotten effed around and got stopped mm. in a Bruno Silva fight mm. or whatever. Or but look, look, Conor McGregor knocking out Jose Aldo didn't answer the ground questions, Luke. But you still knew you had a dynamic force on you. I don't think how I don't see how anybody could watch that five rounds and come away thinking fluke. I think the Usman Edwards fight, which again is not a fluke, is more fluky than this performance. He had to show a lot in different categories to hang in there long enough to be able to, to find an opening for his A-game and deliver that. Okay, is he not as well-rounded as everyone else? Well, GSP's an interesting, unique, one-time middleweight champion, too. Bisping, to some degree, is an instant, interesting one. Just because his story is different from the amount of MMA fights he's had doesn't mean, like, I mean, look, he wasn't dominated on the ground either. So, yeah, he's still going to have to answer questions against elite foes when it goes against his plan of attack. But he kept Izzy within that plan of attack and 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 had to show everything he had to to even create that opportunity to finish. But he did. So to me, it's like a stupid conversation. We will find out in the subsequent title defenses or fights that he takes against the different styles. But I don't, you know, I think that type of analysis was reserved for somebody who stumbled into a title and didn't deserve it, or is just so one-sided in their style that it's obvious they have monster holes everywhere else. I don't know that it's obvious he has monster holes everywhere else because we haven't seen anybody consistently put him there. Right. Who would you say he fought that would give you a good indication of his overall ground ability? No one yet. But right. but weren't they but weren't they saying that about McGregor even after beating a short camped Chad Mendes? Yeah, they were, right? Uh I'm not sure if that was exactly the same. I mean, I think the point for me is this. The idea that he is the worst middleweight champion ever, I think, is a little bit overstated. In fact, I think it's very overstated. But I've seen people being like, well, you know, because Izzy, you know, Izzy didn't have great takedown defense. Like, why would Pereira be any different? First of all, Izzy was way more tested against guys trying to actively take him down at the top of the division. Like, it's not even comparable. It's not even remotely comparable between what Izzy had to go through and what he had to go through. That part is just not up for debate. Second of all, and I've been saying this for years, I don't know why this is hard for people to accept, Izzy against the fence, against the fence, has some of the best takedown defense in that division. And we know that because he's proven it over and over and over and over again against credentialed opposition. Now, it is true, it is true that we just don't really have a clear answer with Pereira, but we do know he's much older, he got fast-tracked to this, and the glimpses we have seen where guys tried to take him down, he doesn't look great. He doesn't look great at all in those respects. So how long is he going to hold the title is a different question than acknowledging he's got what we think are, we don't totally know, but we have pretty good reason to believe he's got some pretty clear deficiencies in that part of the game. And I don't know why acknowledging that is like hating on him or hating on kickboxing or hating okay. on what he did. I don't get that part. There's a difference between acknowledging what we still don't know and declaring him as the worst champion of all time. I mean, yeah, I'm not, that's a I'm not big agreeing he's the Luke. worst. I'm not I'm not agreeing right, with that, but, but I I don't think dismissing concerns about his lopsided game no, is in any way true unfair. Answer, the true answer is we don't know, and the next fights will tell us that. But right now, you can't you can't say you know 
because right, that would but be. But you can't say. But okay. But that worked. But that cuts both ways. If you're going to tell yeah, me like you don't love. know, it's like a knife. If yeah. you're going to tell me if you don't know about how poor his grappling is, you cannot also tell me how good it is. You have to remain agnostic in either direction. Yeah, that's and what I, I said. Think, the, I don't the think the that's real, the response either. The real best answer is we don't know yet. But separate from that middle of the road answer, I think it's it's more ridiculous to to lean on him just being the worst without having the proof than even trying to go my way of saying, dude, we don't know yet. Like, get let him let him let him show us, you know, because the other areas proven to be pretty damn great. I thought Izzy was just gonna, you know, ultimately dance around him and then set him up for the knockout, which in that type of prediction, you're basically saying that these intangible areas that we haven't seen yet are going to falter him. What he's had to show, he's got it. Okay, so let's let let's wait till okay, he, but, let's wait till he but fucks up. Matchmaking, all right? like, matchmaking is also designed around pageantry as well, and they clearly skipped all of the various uh, tests that would have given you more of an answer, and they didn't do that by accident. BC, they did not do that by accident. They did that was an intentional choice that they made to go around yeah. them. Acknowledging that is not hating. It's a fact that happened. Again, acknowledging that is one thing. Declaring somebody the worst champion. Okay, well that's in RJ Clifford. I'm not telling another. you he's the worst. I'm not. I'm not telling you he's the worst. All right. I mean, you know, you're asking me to 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 do one thing when in light of something else. No, I can't do that. But I get. I think you get my point. I get yours. But either yes. way, fuck you, Luke. Okay. You know what I mean. <laughs> okay. At the end of the day. All right. That's what it is. Closing point on <laughs> this is somewhat related to an uh, Mark Raimondi ESPN story about. Uh, Hamzat Chemaev, who tells ESPN that his goal for 2023 that he has already told the UFC is to be the first one to fight for Poetan's middleweight title. He's got a date picked out in January for that. And then he wants to come back in March to headline a pay-per-view at welterweight against Colby Covington. Luke, you got any movement on this bold offering? I mean, it's it's not likely to say the least, but what do you what do you take from this? Anything? I'll, I'll take either of them. I mean, would you say no to either? I mean, I guess the one at 185 doesn't make any sense. So I would say no in the sense that, like, I don't think that's the appropriate first choice or something yeah. like that. But um, you know what they should have done? One, the Colby one is, I just, if we don't get that fight, that would be a travesty. And the UFC can't make them do it, right? Because they're independent contractors. They can decline. They can decline. But I really, 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 really hope that's the one we get because honestly, that's the best test, frankly, for either of them at this stage. Don't wouldn't you agree? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, that's it. That's what has to happen. There's no question about it. Um, Chimaev is is interesting though. Like I thought he was going back to welterweight. I mean, I get him wanting to. I thought they were going to give him a chance to to you know compete for the title, which this Covington fight would be. He's basically saying, "I want to do it all right now," but you know. You can't get a reward still. This can't be your reward for missing weight so badly and forcing the giant snafu in the last card. So, Luke, would it be better off if the moment Adesanya lost, they said this? All right, we know we've got Whitaker Costa set for February. That instead is going to be Chemayev Costa. And, hey, Robert Whitaker, you have just secured yourself Alex Pereira's first title defense, whether it's that night or January or whenever. Isn't that, isn't that the better better play right now? Wow. Okay, so let me think that through. Chimayev Costa and then Whitaker Pereira. Yeah, that's not bad matchmaking either, I don't think. That's you know? a great, great set, two set of fights. But at the same time, it's like you're, just, you know, you're declaring, like, I don't know how good Pereira's grappling is. And then your ass is going to pick Whitaker 10 times out of 10, aren't you? Right? You know what I'm saying? Like, 
Yeah. You know, you're playing both sides here a little bit. Um, Look, I'll, I play all sides all the time. You know what I mean? That's why you can't get a read on me, a handle. I'm like a slippery fish, Luke. You know that, a wet fish. Slippery when wet, like Bon Jovi, those, those bitches. Now, look, Bon Jovi definitely got a lot of tail, and definitely in their biggest commercial crossover rock radio hits, they got you not in your head. We can't, I mean, we can't deny that. It happened. But do you look back at them as, you know... Them bitches? I mean, they're kind of... I mean, Young Guns 2 soundtrack is badass. But separate from that, Luke, is... I mean, Bon Jovi, like, yo, F them. And then they went country at one point. Yo, and it was like pop country, too. Yo, F JBJ. Yeah, I mean, I gotta tell you, like, I... They were nothing more than a thing we played at fraternity parties, so girls yeah, would show up. Yeah, like, take that. Like, I'd almost, I'd almost put poison ahead of them because the guitar work is so great, Luke. I, I walked out of a Motley Crue concert. It was one of the best things I ever did. Well, yeah, I mean... I, Motley Crue, they suck. Terrible. Yeah, I mean, they, I mean, they made great hits. They had a great image, but I think they've been historically musically overrated to a to a large degree. I know I'll get some heat for that. You will too, but you don't care about it. That's the no, difference because you're willing to take your wife to a cannibal corpse show. She liked it all right. She liked it all right. Hey, people have their things. Hey, some people for topic five, Luke, are into this. BKFC is back this weekend. <laughs> um, I got no. No one loves. I swear to God, no one loves BKFC more in MMA media than you. <laughs> You're number one. No, uh, it's because I work with Brent Brookhouse, who has his eye on more. He's like, he is the gas station combat guy. He is the, that like, he lives for this type of stuff, Luke. You into that? No, no. All right. We are going to have, I'm trying to look up, hold on. Let me look up the, uh, the location and the card number, but you can't tell me you don't care about this. Omaha, Nebraska, Anthony, home of Anthony <laughs> Smith, who you'll see. Uh, you'll see Tuesday on Room Service Diary, so get ready for that. BKFC 33, your main event, Joey Beltron versus Houston Alexander. Luke, you can't tell me you don't have like a a morsel of a care to see this train wreck happen. Uh, I'll I'll watch the results on Instagram when they get posted or something, you know? Okay. It's a cruiserweight bout, so I think... Houston Joey Alexander, going- by the way, from Nebraska, I believe, so that's a bit of a homecoming for him. Yep. Yeah, uh, do you, do you think he he took the money against Kimbo? I don't. I think you're underrating Kimbo big time, or that I, mean, I should the, say that version of him. Those were big slams, but I didn't like how defensive Houston was. I mean, go after that chin, right? That was the move against Kimbo. You know, he didn't have an iron chin, right? Or at least, I mean, Seth uh, Petrozelli jabbed the him. Fight, he didn't. The damn pink guy jabbed him to death, Luke. I mean, it was a perfect jab, but come on. Who did? Yeah. Seth Petrozelli. Oh, the, Seth Petrozelli. The, the silverback, yeah. Um, all right, nobody else on this card is giving me a lot of movement, Luke, I'm sure. Uh, oh, Dakota Cochran's taking on Robbie Peralta, so there's that. All right. That's probably the only thing you're going to get for names on there. Uh, Luke, it's the holiday season, right? So, you know, whoop-de-whoop, dip-de-dop, you know what I'm saying? But it's also a wonderful time of the year, one that can also be the most hectic time of the year. And if you're anything like me, Luke Thomas, you put off shopping until the extreme last minute when suddenly you're willing to pay overnight costs like it was never a thing, you know? BC, if you have an online store, you know the feeling of getting hit with a ton of orders at once. When you're buried in orders and emails from stressed customers, you'll wish you had ShipStation. You're talking about ShipStation right there, Luke. That's right, because ShipStation turns holiday ship storms into smooth sailing so you can keep your customers happy and still find time for a little bit of that those eggnog gummies look if you know what i'm talking about i know what you're talking about and as we all know the holidays can be very stressful but using ship station is not 
I like to avoid extra holiday stress by getting on top of our shipping process before the season gets crazy. And with ShipStation, we don't have to feel overwhelmed and we can feel reassured our customers are receiving their orders on time. Yeah, Luke, I agree with you. And it's better ShipStation than using the default shipping option for online stores. Those always take up time to deal with the unnecessary hassles. But with ShipStation, you're able to manage every order on one single dashboard. It's like paradise by the ShipStation dashboard light, right? Uh, uh, automate routine shipping tasks, print shipping labels, easily compare rates and delivery times. Look, it helps optimize every shipment without that ship storm we're talking about. Sure does. And every enterprise solution that makes warehouse optimization easy, ShipStation scales when you do. So there are no limitations on your growth opportunities. Yeah, and ShipStation has a free trial and a quick setup. If you've been on the fence about trying it, there's no better time than now. And Luke, one of the best parts about this is that it works with all your favorite places to sell online, including Amazon, Etsy, eBay, Shopify, all them bitches. Yeah, no one wants to think too hard during the holidays. Luckily, ShipStation is a no-brainer. You'll save time, money, and stress during the holiday rush. And when you sign up using our promo code, BC, you'll even get two free months to try it. Yeah, that's fantastic. Give yourself the gift of stress-free holiday shipping by using promo code MORNINGCOMBAT today by going to ShipStation.com to sign up for your free 60-day trial. Tell them BC sent you. That's right. Yeah. ShipStation.com, yeah. promo code, all one word, MORNINGCOMBAT. All right, Luke Thomas, we close by giving the people a chance to, you know, come at us, but you better come original. Morningcombat at gmail.com is your email home. If there's something we said that's incorrect, insensitive, ridiculous, or maybe you just want to roast us, well, you better have receipts when you bring it because it takes a lot for me to admit that I was dead wrong, bitch. <laughs> All right, Luke, we start off here. We only have a couple of them. Wow, we had a good week. All right, this is from... At L Heffy, not Jeffy, at the one hour, 21 minute and 42 second mark of episode 374, that filthy casual BC, when referencing his fame, his favorite rumble moment stated, my favorite fighter knockout is every fight at 147. As his boxing brain incorrectly used the boxing welterweight limit as opposed to the MMA limit of 170 pounds. Yes, this is pedantic as hell, but I was searching for something to say was dead wrong just as a hack to say that I really wanted to request an in-memoriam resume review of Rumble. So yeah. imagine my delight when the man of the people, the American Alpha himself, BC with the BDE, stated that he would also like to do that. I really hope that the project sees the light of day. Condolences to MK contributor Rashad Evans, as the two seemed very close. If he was up for it, would be amazing if Rashad could say a few words to open the resume review. Damn, this guy's calling his shot on something that, yes, I was dead wrong on. Luke, your thoughts on putting Rumble up in that up on that chair? I uh, would love to do it. Would love to do it. Yeah, I, but I would want to do it the right way. Like they're talking about, it. I would love to do it with Rashad because I just feel like we would be missing some things without it, but uh, I'm sure we would be. But uh, Would we be missing... The... I ayahuasca at any point hanging out with Rashad probably some toads to be looking but yeah. um okay. in general yeah if we can make that happen believe me we've talked about it behind the scenes we, it's not clear opportunity yet to do it but if we get one we're gonna 
All right, that's good news. Good news from the people. Thank you. Also, Taylor hitting us up with a dead wrong, saying on Wednesday, November 16th, at 1 hour 42 and 8 seconds, Luke states that Gilbert Burns has a huge name coming off of that Hamzat win. Bro, did you forget to take your AG1, you dumbass lifting weights in the front yard bastard? Gilbert Burns certainly did not beat Does Hamzat. Does anyone think that I think that he beat Hamzat, or did I just misspeak? <laughs> Fucking A. <laughs> Well, I got to go deadlift with straps on, so I'll talk to you later. P.S. Not the type of straps on that B.C. is imagining. That's a fair point. Uh, Taylor from Idaho, and no, I don't grow potatoes, so don't even try. Dude, wow, that's a... up in Idaho. Don't, don't lie, motherfucker. That is a hell of an offering there from Taylor. Wow. Are you impressed by his performance, Luke? They, they they come they do they come they talk a lot of shit up on the dead wrongs don't yeah, they yeah yeah they do I I mean people are just trying to find any reason that they can create it's an email not just that it's it. not like um I found this time when you said it was actually uh, 170 pounds at the weigh-ins it was 171 well, they don't do that they go yo you fucking child molester look what you fucking <laughs> did you know I'm like whoa I just fucking you washed ass piece of shit. I mean, they're all it's like, like Stone Cold Steve. Your Austin. family doesn't love you. True, but that's a different story, motherfucker. <laughs> different story. Wow. You know, I think it is, Luke. I think we have ramped up the intensity of this Donk of the Year battle. This It's election season right now for us. Yeah, it's it coming is. up yeah, on it. Is. And these people are, f I mean, you know, these guys are getting canceled left and right by Mikey. He's like, we can't run this fan sub. This is like ridiculous against women and every other category. Like, what are you doing, people? Luke, we've got them too. We've created the monster. We've got them too jacked up to try. Now they're jacking off. I mean, what do we do? How do we fix this? I don't know. I think we've created a monster. <laughs> Yes, yes. All right. Thank you very much. Uh, that's our show. For By the way, week. I want to uh, say today, I think you called yourself having BDE and BBC, which I have to tell you is a little <laughs> much. A little <laughs> to much. Be fair, I, to be fair, I haven't had the latter. To be fair, though, I, I hear you do never go back, though. Just the same. All right. Uh, thank you to all of our sponsors. And thank you for you listeners who are so angry that we started the show with like eight minutes of commercials. Look, that's ballsy on us, right? But we pulled it off. We the landed that they shit. Don't, we, they don't tell us. So then like when the show, shot, the, the show starts, you're like, all right, we got two and a half minutes of commercials just so we know like, you know, when to get ready. Today, they're like, yo, we got... Ten and a half hours of commercials. We're like, what? <laughs> Yo, when at what point is the show? Because like, even you know, it used to be a AAA baseball thing, but now obviously Major League Baseball has like full on advertisements on the fence behind them. You can always see it. Yeah. At what point is the video screen behind us in the bomb shelter just going to be straight? Like, nah, we're gonna get like those fake Golden Palace tattoos on our foreheads. You know what I'm about? <laughs> Yo, do you? What if? What if? What if Showtime was like? We normally would not, you know, clear you at all to show your D on the air. But what if you put the golden, <laughs> the golden pipe tattoo right on the right on the only pipe, Luke? You know, and I mean, it's just, you know, and they give you money you can't refuse, Luke. Damn, that's a conundrum, right? It certainly is. <laughs> wow all right this could be our last show thank you to our team our, our amazing staff all the companies that put money in our pockets all of our great sponsors um reminder showtime.com get your 30 days free now in fact you want to see Corey anderson vadim nemkov for one million dollars tonight and the potential rise of usman Nurmagomedov. let's see if patriki can end that 9 p.m eastern showtime bellator 288 don't miss it why not why not just get 30 days free all right, you've been you've been streaming long enough now. Stop being greedy, okay? There you go. That's it. Give DMX. to the needy. 
Yes. Um, I also wanted to say, Luke, that if you're watching the fights tonight and you see somebody coming on, why don't you hit that hashtag hammer of the month or, you know, holy hammer. If you got it, go at money lion on Twitter at money lion Inc on Instagram. Let everyone know who deserves to get recognition, who deserves to hold that hammer at the end of the month. Right. Right. We're yeah. Gonna send it to him. You remember when MC hammer was like, uh, uh, when he got, you know, he had, he was like out of ideas. So he did the pumps and the bumps like gangster video. Oh, and he had, he like had that... a hog just the size of Texas in his, <laughs> Yo, he... in his banana hammock dungarees. <laughs> Yo, he got out that. I mean, he was just, Luke, he Dude, was fraught the, like, that shit. Like two of these were in his pants. <laughs> wow. That was a long, long, long move from prey. You know what I mean? That was a long journey. It was, there, it was but, like uh, this. This was in his underwear. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> wow. Yeah, we did. We had liftoff. Yeah. Wow. Okay. They, I mean, it was like the McGregor Mayweather weigh-in, and, and except it took over the whole screen, Luke. It was Dude, crazy. he could have used that thing as a hammer that day. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah, he could have. And I don't want to touch this, Luke. But yeah, when you're that close, you can't avoid it. It's like, get that away, you know? All right. Enough of that uh, absolute uh, bullshit. Uh, anything else, Luke? That's it? No. Um, I'm going to be on CBS Sports HQ today to preview the main card, and then right after, right after the Bellator is over, you can catch me on CBS Sports HQ to give a bit of a recap. Should be fun. I'm going to be there too, just so you know. Ah, great. Okay, good. Yeah, yeah. We'll 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 hang out together. All right, that's the show. Um, if you're a listener, thank you. Like and subscribe, all that good stuff. But thank you for taking the time to make us a part of your life. Put a comment on YouTube if there's something you don't like, or maybe there's something you do. Let us know you're there. Morningcombat at gmail.com is, of course, your fan sub and dead wrong spot. Send your artwork Mikey's way. Thank you to Mikey Gaff, Long Island Luke, uh, RJ Bumblemaker on the morningcombat.store. Oh, yeah, Luke, let's close with that. Um, new merch is available, but here's the reminder. That Black Friday deal, RJ told me, it's looking good. It's looking good. You want to get in on those secret savings? Why don't you send your email address on morningcombat.store, sign up for it, because that's how you're going to find out. What are you going to get? Percentage off? What are you going to get? A free gift? I don't know. You got to check out Black Friday. MK, we're coming after you. We want to be on your head, okay? So uh, the, these new hats, look, they're fantastic. They're great. I got to get one. I don't have one, actually. I need to get one. I mean, I, I thought you missed a moment not wearing that Chuck Mindenhall hat, Luke, when him and I both had it on. on that I wore it to, uh, to drop my daughter off at school today. All right. All right. That was, yeah, that was age appropriate to what you're, you're showing these days. But Luke, I'm, I'm one, I mean, what if you just trim the beard down tight and then dyed everything silver? That could be like a reinvention, like Luke 2.0. What do you think about that? So head, so like my hair too, or like what? How's yeah. That your hair and entire beard would be the same color. It'd be like this, like, you know, very professional and poised, like silver. I like, would just turn into Tim Allen in the Santa Claus. Fuck all that. <laughs> all right. There you have it. Uh, thank you to our great team. Uh, put your put your, put your your mental health first, guys. Take care of yourselves. Enjoy the weekend. Bellator tonight. Loaded. CBS Sports. I mean, Fedor on CBS February 4th. What a time to be alive. Tank and Rye Guy. Thank you for making that fight. For Luke Thomas, this is BC. We out of here. That's it. We're out. Cut it out. Yeah. <laughs>